Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. All right, we are moving on with our motivation series and the things that can get in the way of motivation and as well as the things that can help it. But this week we are going over process resistance, which Taylor just informed me means <laughs> we don't like how the change is happening. As of seven seconds as ago. As of a couple of seconds ago, I am now an expert. Now I, so yeah, it's just the idea- oh, yeah. What this I, is. I mean, I have, it's, it's Thursday morning. Yeah. That's enough said. Um, <laughs> Sometimes Thursday feels harder than Monday. Thursday before an eight session day with Do another eight session tomorrow. to Thursdays? Not so much. Usually it just, I, Do I'm out of town week? next week and I'm loading it all up now. So yeah. And then when I come back, I will also load it up. So, so me, it's just a resistance of what's going to happen in the next three weeks. Um, but yeah, so process resistance, anything we'd like to say besides the fact of we all feel it and change is hard. So process resistance, um, I'd like, well, this isn't a me thing. I was about to say, I like, uh, I think that's something therapists do a lot of like, I like to say, and then they've totally just stolen it from someone else. So Dr. David Burns, uh, he wrote the feel good handbook or manual. I got to go steal it from my bookshelf. Excellent, excellent uh, therapist. Um, he's retired now. I would ask people if I had a magic button and you pushed it and all of your problems went away, would you push it? Uh, and you say yes, uh, then that's process resistance. It's not that you don't want to get better, it's not that you don't want the change in your life that's bringing you to therapy or having you seek out whatever. It's that um, the way that change is being brought about or the way the path that you're seeking or the way that change is being offered, you don't like or that you are resistant to or the way that change is being offered fuels resistance. That is what process resistance is. And so we see this sometimes in people who are continually saying they're working on the change and they try, they're trying like every method under the sun, um, looking for the process that's most comfortable versus looking for the outcome. And so they'll often transfer a lot. We see this in therapy, they'll um, call shopping for therapy. So I want to see, not if it's just a good connection, but if you'll tell me to do it the way I want you to tell me to do it. Um, and most good therapists won't, just in case you're wondering if that works. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of quitting starting. I want, I think I'll work better with this person. Um, I don't want to do that because it would affect this relationship. And so they're very real uh, responses to, I think, the idea that change is uncomfortable and it's going to be uncomfortable. And so that's going to create some resistance for people. I um, see kind of two ends of the spectrum of process resistance. One is um, simply it's too hard what's being asked. It's 
too much too fast. On the other hand, what's being asked is too easy counterintuitively. Sometimes uh, EMDR or neurofeedback seems so stupid. <laughs> you're going to like neurofeedback. You're going to ask me just watch a movie and I'm going to get better. Uh, it sounds uh, dumb. There's no way that could work. It sounds like witchcraft. EMDR certainly sounds like witchcraft. And they want to be doing something rather than sitting and watching someone's hand go back and forth. And so they, they don't like that method. Um, or they're coming to a therapist. Um, the third most common kind of process resistance is they go to a therapist and they want a type of therapy that that therapist doesn't do. Um, and some therapists will try to do it anyway. Um, but the best approach for a therapist to do is, hey, you know what? That's not in my wheelhouse. Let me find you someone that does. Mm -hmm. uh, but the client really feels a connection to that therapist. And so they want to continue working with that therapist, but they don't like the therapist's approach. And so it just ends up being a poor fit, even if they like the therapist. Yeah. So many thoughts as that comes up, because I just feel really strongly about a therapist who don't actually offer what they say they offer. Um, so You've had some like personal experiences with that recently <laughs> We're just talking been about trying it. <laughs> to, to find a certain type of therapist for a family member. And I call and call and call and they say they do this therapy, but, but they really don't. And, um, they won't just tell me they don't, they, they go beat around the bush and I feel bad because I, I know they don't do it, but other people may not realize that you're looking, you're, you know, that this is what you need and you're not really going to get it. And that's really hard. The other thing that's hard too is, is as a client being able to say, I know I need to move into that discomfort. Um, as I was preparing for this and looking at change, I like to look at the, um, the psychological perspective, but there's often um, a lot of articles and information on motivation and those kinds of things as they look at like business world. And one of the things that I found was in a Harvard Business Review, when was this date? Um, I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to see if I can find it. Um, but it was, it talked about how understanding that people struggle with change because it can change their relationships, who they interact with on a day by day. I certainly know with like addictions, there's a social aspect often to that. Um, same thing with boundary cr and creating those boundaries, that change process of, hey, if you want this to change, you might actually have to have a boundary. This person will, they won't like me mm -hmm. if I have a boundary or I might lose that friendship. And so that those are some of the things that I found is just kind of more secular ways of looking at what processes and why we avoid them. And I think what I like about what you're saying um, is this is idea of the first step in realizing that I have some process resistance is not just push forward. It's first validate is the process I'm attempting or someone else is suggesting I use valid. Do your research. That's totally fine. Like what Taylor and Jen and myself, when we suggest to a client like, hey, do ART, do EMDR, do neurofeedback, do whatever. I 
give my clients as much as possible, as much of the information I have about how this is a scientific research-based method that, you know, these are the stats, these are what's going on. I don't just tell them just do it. Like you guys were saying, like a poor therapist would say that and just say, just trust me and just go with it. Um, in fact, I've had many clients come to me for therapeutic trauma issues where they've had some really crummy therapists. That's a nice word to say it. Um, and the therapist was just like, just do it. And, you know, for us, we hope in that process resistance that's happening, we want you to look into it and evaluate it and say, is this really the process I want to go with? And then after you've gained that information, then we're looking into it and saying, okay, how am I going to work with that? I don't really want to do it, but I know I have to, or I know I want to, or I know that this is suggested and it looks like it's going to possibly be effective. How do I work with this resistance? And it's just that idea of, it's essentially like the process of, I want to be effective and have a good day and get everything done. Well, the first step is going to be getting out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed right? Why would I want to get out of bed? Like that just doesn't make sense. It's that feeling of like, ugh, I don't want to, right? Like I really don't want to. And it's that idea of sometimes we just have to look at that feeling and say, I'm not ignoring it, but yeah, I get it. So what are the things that I can do maybe later in my day to make it so I don't repeat this later? Maybe it's getting more sleep. Maybe it's getting better sleep. Maybe it's whatever it is, but that process, it's simply about establishing for myself how am I going to, in the end, reach the goal I want? How do I find some way of being comfortable or at least finding some sort of pleasure in the experience? I was just finishing up Atomic Habits this morning. And um, in that book, I love that one of the main themes of the whole entire book is that we as human beings, when people are like, do the uncomfortable, you're, you're going to love it eventually. And no, you're not. We as human beings are programmed literally to find pleasure and joy and to feel security and to do the least amount of work for the biggest reward. Like that's a survival instinct. So your body's telling you to do what it was programmed to do, which is to hold steady and to not make big changes because those could be dangerous and scary. So how do I work with that and not try to throw myself into the extreme end of trying to make these huge processes work? So I think just validate those feelings and notice what's coming up with that and know that this is part of our system. And I love that you said that because as I'm looking at this article, because I was looking for the date mm -hmm. and it actually was published 15 years ago and then has a retrospective, meaning they republished it with some updates. Mm -hmm. And here's what they came out. They said, um, people are resisting less when we put the needs of the people into the design of the, like we're taking in, we're talking mm -hmm. to them, we're saying, what do you need? How can we help? Also that they're getting feedback, that it's not just go and do it, but like, hey, tell me what you feel about like this next step we're taking. And yeah. when you do set that boundary, what are you worried about? So it's not an idea that the change happens and then it's frozen. It's more of a fluid, let's work with the change. Um. Yeah. And that time is, time is a big part of the change process. You know, mm -hmm. it's funny, Taylor, you talked about the example of pushing the button, which is an immediate thing, which we all say we want. And yet what most people need is time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take some time, take some knowledge. I was just watching, uh, my husband and I were watching, um, there's a new Netflix documentary out called you are what you eat the twin experiment. I think that's what it is. So they have like about 22, 
21 completed the experiment. They started with 22 um, sets of twins that they gave one of them a healthy omnivore diet and a healthy um, uh, vegan diet. And because they have two twins who have the same genetics, the same biology, they found twins that were very similar in a lot of markers. Um, and then they also, in this documentary, they have a lot of info about um, the benefits of vegan diet and things like that. Um, and it was interesting because with the the twin who had the vegan, all of them grew up omnivores. None of them grew up as vegan as it is. So all of this was very different from everyone that they were interviewing with it. And it was interesting because originally every single one of the twins, for the most part, who was assigned vegan, you see all of them go, oh, I don't want to do this, but I signed up for the experiment. So I'll do it kind of thing. Cause they wanted to see if vegan diets would impact, um, things that usually would take months. And this was over eight weeks. So it wasn't a really long experiment over months of like their, um, like genetic age, genetic markers. Um, they're looking for that, uh, unhealthy fats in their system. They're the ones that like are around your organs and things like that. And also your BMI and looking at all these different things and your fitness, your intelligence level, all these different things with it. Um, and also looking obviously at like weight gain, all of that. And it was interesting because the V the vegan twin hated it and they would always kind of talk about it. And then they would kind of go through this process though, where they would learn how to make things that actually tasted okay to them. And they were like, oh, okay, this is okay. It was interesting. The very end of the study, um, I won't spoil all of it, but obviously they found a lot of really astounding health benefits with the twin to the point of like their genetic age was lowered. Um, in eight weeks, which they usually study wise had found it would take like years. And they found with eight weeks of the twin eating vegan, they were now biologically younger than their other twin. Um, and all these other really cool health factors, they studied the women and noticed their libido levels had also changed dramatic things like that. It was interesting because after that happened, the majority of the twins went more vegan majority, both of the twins after that point went more vegan. Um, if they weren't strictly vegan, they were adding more plant products rather than animal byproducts into their diets because they saw the results. And so originally there was that process resistance. They were like, mm, I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. Who wants to eat chickpeas all the time? Who wants to eat vegan cheese? You know, no one wants to do that. Um, but it was interesting that as they were able to, first of all, notice their physical changes, like, oh, I just feel kind of healthier. I feel better, but it wasn't like a huge difference, but as they saw those um, biological, uh, doctor type changes that only the doctor really could notice and know from the study. It's not like you're looking like oh, I feel biologically 10 years younger, right? Like you don't right. just have that, but as they had all of that, all of a sudden they were like, Ooh, I'm no longer going to be resistant to the process, even though it's not eating the foods I love and it's not my norm. I'm going to go with it. And so it was interesting seeing that that motivation to change, first of all, was re-sparked in all of them. And second of all, you saw them going out and intentionally now looking for ways that they could change their diet rather than just, well, if you give me a recipe, I'll give it a shot, right? They were then looking for it. They were interviewing people to find additional like vegan cheeses and vegan things like that. And so with this kind of motivation and the process resistance, I think we all are skeptical. And I think we're programmed to be that way to keep ourselves safe. And that's good. It's okay. So it's not a matter of why am I having this resistance coming up? It's more of a, you know, 
what's the best way to get through it? So I think Haley, you talked about not do saying just do it in like I like we said, the rigid way, but also giving yourself a chance to try out something is an important part of change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't try it a little bit, as long as it's a safe thing, it doesn't, what's the point, right? That's what our whole purpose is in learning. Yeah. Do you want anything, Taylor? No, I think that's pretty well covered. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We would love to hear from you.